The Broken Record Player Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the albums we love, is available on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. We also have a Facebook and Instagram page. Please follow, subscribe, like, review, and share. If you would like to suggest albums, please send a message through our social media platforms. Nostalgia is a powerful feeling. Certain songs and albums bring us back to specific memories we have or times in our lives we remember. This next album conjures up a lot of memories and a time in my life when I was discovering music on my own. Tim Gwill, a friend of mine and fellow history teacher, joins me to discuss an album that is both nostalgic and timeless for us. Today we're talking about the complex, dreamy, distorted, reflective masterpiece by the Smashing Pumpkins. It's Siamese Dream on this episode of the Broken Record Player Podcast. Alright everyone, welcome back. Ryan here, and today I'm joined by a friend of mine to discuss one of our all-time favorite albums, Siamese Dream. Please welcome Tim Gwill. How are you doing, Tim? I'm well, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. For sure. I mean, I'm really excited to have you on because this album, this band in general, is very dear to me, so I'm really happy we get to talk about this. But I wanted to talk about, first of all, your first impressions of this album when did you get into the pumpkins and when did you discover Siamese Dream do you remember the first time you kind of came across this band or this album oh absolutely so um the album came out in 93 right and I was 13 so I was right at that age like I was not necessarily in the exact target demographic but close right and um I used to uh, mow lawns and buy albums <laughs> That's that was my motor operandi at age thirteen. I cared about nothing <laughs> else, and I used to. Um, I was really into Guns and Roses and Motley Crue, and yeah. those are some of the cooler bands I was into. I also like Nelson and Slaughter a lot too. So can't say I was like on the cutting edge or like had the real music you know acumen yet. But um, <laughs> I heard on the radio. Um, I used to have a. I used to live in a small town outside of Las Vegas, and we used to try to we set up a antenna that would that would that we could get Vegas radio stations on. So we listened to Howard Stern and which was the rock station and the very first time I heard today um you know that single um, yeah. I went down and bought the single and listened to it and I forget what the B side on that single was or the second song on the 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 single um but I listened to it listened to it listened to it and finally bought the album um when I had enough money and it was one of the very first albums that I really, truly, every song was just, to me, was better than the next song. I didn't think any song would be better than today. And that, that particular single that I heard, and man, the first three songs, you know, first two songs, Cherub Rock and Quiet, I think, to me, I loved even more. And it was that first time I was like, oh my God, an album can be more than just that song I heard on the radio. Definitely. That's an awesome story. And it's awesome that you discovered it at that age when you're, you know, 13. That's a great time to discover the the Smashing Pumpkins and rock and all that kind of stuff. They were the first band that I really got into. And their first album I bought was uh, Gish. That was mm -hmm. the first album I got by them. And it was the first album I bought with my own money. Oh, really? 
And so, yeah. And so like, cause before that I would just get hand-me-downs from my dad or like stuff for Christmas or whatever. This was the first album I actually decided to buy with my own money. Uh, Gish was not Siamese dream, Sure. but I'm in, do you remember Virgin Megastore, like the Virgin Records oh, Megastore? Anytime I got to go to like a big city, which wasn't very often, I would either go to Tower Records or Virgin Megastore. Yeah, that's where I f- discovered them. So I was at Virgin Megastore in Sacramento and I was browsing through the S section and I saw this band called the Smashing Pumpkins. It must have been, and you have to remember, I was, you know, 10, 11 years old at the time. And this was like 96, I mm-hmm. think. And I saw this band called the Smashing Pumpkins, and I thought that was such a cool sounding band name, the Smashing Pumpkins. I was in, in immediately sort of drawn to who they were just based on their name. Went over to the listening station. They had one of their albums there. I think it was actually Melancholy. In yeah, it was Melancholy. Sadness. Yeah, that would be 96 for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 95, I think it was 96. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I started listening to it, and I'm like, oh. I've heard these, some of these songs before, like just casually, like on the radio or whatever. And I went back to the section and I was like, I got to get this. I got to get one of these albums. So I bought Gish because I thought it looked cool, mm-hmm. picked it up, brought it home. And then I started listening to it. Just loved it immediately. It was like one of those bands that I immediately got into. And there was no sort of like, you know, hesitation at first, like with a band that you're not really clicking with right at first, but then a few listens later, you really get into them. For this band, it was just like instant, yes, this band rocks. And yeah, from then on, just pretty much purchased everything they ever produced. And Every, everything? Everything. Siamese Dream included, of course, was right after this. And then I realized that actually I had heard today, and that was the first song I had ever heard by them. Mm-hmm. And it was from a movie. So yeah, one of my... One of the earliest bands I can remember really getting into and a band that I'm not ashamed to go back and revisit from my childhood, whereas some of those other bands, you know, <laughs> I, I know I, I'm so, just, I, I have that feeling sometimes where I go back and I'm like, well, I really like that. But God, uh, I feel bad. Like, you know, you have that embarrassment. I have like when I was listening to it with my partner, actually, before I got on, the, on tonight, we were out eating dinner and she loves it. And we were just listening to it, and every I I could listen to Siamese Dream uh, every time I've ever listened to it. It's just nothing but pure sonic joy for me. Yeah, totally, totally. And you know, some of those other bands that I listened to at the time just don't even compare. And you know, that was when new metal was at its height, mm-hmm. and so I was really into all that stuff. And comparing it, it it sounds like shit compared to the Smashing Pumpkins. I can't go back and listen to a lot of that stuff. Uh, like the Limp Bizkit and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's hard for me to go back and listen to that because at that time I was really into it and I was also into the Smashing Pumpkins. But now, you know, going back and trying to listen to some of those bands, it's like, wow, no, can't, can't right. take it's it like seriously. The most you get is that nostalgic dopamine drop. Right. Of like, I remember when I heard that or remember when I heard this or a yes. time in your life versus just this isn't complete art. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you if you thought if, if this is, well... I can't really frame it as a question, but it's an observation for myself. I think the Smashing Pumpkins pumpkins is the first thing – I remember having this thought and discussion with somebody in middle school or high school. 
was saying um, what I liked about them was that their lyrics seemed to make not a lot of sense, some some more than others, but it seemed to be this kind of jumbulation of words that made sense together, but you could really um, piece together for yourself, almost like abstract art to a degree. Now, there's lots of bands that do that. They're not the only ones, but I think that was one of the very first times, especially because Siamese Dream is so well done and yeah. so easily accessible that it really allowed me to realize that they didn't I didn't have to know exactly what they were talking about to get a lot out of it and then also learn that the le the less I get out of the direct lyrics the more I actually can interpret for myself which I think that's one of the reasons I can always go back to it and still feel those same feelings and new feelings yeah that's a good point the lyrics and I, I read more of them for this episode and just went back to reread them and sometimes you're right they don't make sense if you just read them like you would uh, a poem or a song just in general. Mm -hmm. But there are portions that really connect. Like there are lines that really connect and oh, we'll get sure. into some of those. And it's like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Some of the songs, even, even Billy Corgan admits some of the songs that he wrote just kind of were just him throwing a bunch of different things into a song, not really trying to tell one specific story so I think, yeah, the Pumpkins, they've got a lot of different things going on in every song lyrically. So it is kind of a mishmash, you know, of all these different ideas sort of floating around. So in the in the brain of Billy Corgan. Right. You know? In the in the, in the idea that I'm feeling these things, I'm going to throw these words out there. They mean something to me, but I can't necessarily explain exactly what they mean or I'm not going to paint a very clear picture. But because they come from so much heart and such yes. an emotional place that it that's what the beauty of it to me always has been is that that it, there there's emotion there and they make sense and they sound good together but now i get to construct relatively what they mean in in a general sense you know it's right. not it's not something so outside the realm you have no idea what they're talking about but there's also a lot of latitude for you to put that in there sure well, let's talk about the background here you mentioned earlier it was released in 93 and that's sort of at the height of a lot of, you know, the grunge, alternative rock, indie rock. Those were just massive. And Corgan mentioned that the record company wanted this album to sell like 10 million copies or something ridiculous. Like they got close. Right. I think they, they sold over 6 million, which is really good. Absolutely. But, you know, expectations were huge. I mean, this is this is the era of Nevermind and 10 and the Black Album and all these huge albums that just sold millions and millions of copies, which you don't see anymore. But, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the Pumpkins to make a, a solid hit album. And yeah, that's exactly what they did with this album. And it's also produced by Butch Vig, who does Nevermind. I mean, he knows a little bit about making a good record. And it's just full of different styles. It's full of alternative rock hard rock metal metal is in there too to a degree psych shoegaze dream pop grunge i mean it's got all these different things these elements floating around is that what makes it such a a great album for you to listen to is just all the different sort of styles that they bring into the music well you know it's funny you bring that up ryan because i wanted to do my homework before this <laughs> right so my <laughs> choice of homework was I watched the old um, MTV rockumentary. Right? It was right, between okay. that and the VH1 behind the music. And I was like, I'm going to go with the rockumentary. It used to be on MTV, right? 
Um, and it was interesting because I, I was watching an interview, and the, this is, I think, it must have come out right after the the way it was produced. It came out right around, uh, right after um, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And it was interesting to hear Billy Corgan's what he identified at that time. So this is like mid '90s documentary. Um, that his one of his main influences was like was Black Sabbath, Velvet Underground, and it was interesting because I never really took and stopped stop to think where does this where does you know where are their inspirations and the minute i saw those two and bowie was another one sure uh, hasn't bowie in, influence you know or those other bands that i just <laughs> right. mentioned but instantly i saw i could i could hear in my mind some of the riffs and some of those things that i was like that does sound like black sound that does sound like this the lyrical aspects and some of the experimental things do sound like bowie yeah and so i i mean i i think at that time you're exactly right uh, with the idea that, you know, there's these big expectations for these grunge rock bands. Nevermind comes out and just explodes and destroys, you know, um, the 80s, 90s, you know, rock of the world, right? Right, right. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's albums like the Black Album that kind of straddle that. I mean, Metallica was never in the hair metal world, but sort of was, you know, kind of on the fringe of it. Um, and you do have 10. And you do have Plush. Which came out relatively the same time, wasn't it? No, Core. Core, no, right. Core. Plush was on Core, yeah. Plush was on Core, but Core. And but everybody just kind of said, well, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Nirvana, they're all grunge. And they just kind of put them all in a box. Right. And they're not in a box because they're wildly different. They just happen to come out at the same time and all sell a lot of albums at the same time. Yeah. And so it's interesting to go back and explore it. And, and now as an older, more experienced and wiser music consumer to hear the individuality of each album. And definitely I can hear um, the, those, those influences for sure. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Black Sabbath and Corgan is such a huge metal head. He loves heavy metal and he's very, you know, vocal about how much he loves it. Black Sabbath. Yeah. You definitely can hear, influences from from sabbath and other metal bands but also goth bands the cure uh depeche mode you can hear that influence on the smashing pumpkins and of course my bloody valentine a huge influence on the pumpkins and their sound and so they've got all these different styles that make it such a a listener's paradise because there's so many different things to appreciate in the music alone not even the lyrics but just the music and well, oh go on sir no 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 that's just one of the things that really appealed to me and i noticed especially with this album is just the 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 blending of all those different elements to it well and and without a doubt the it was interesting listening to early billy, billy corgan talk in the in the documentary um, of just his unwillingness um, to to make a three minute three minute song that they that that some of the record labels want and some and because they of course are from Chicago and some of the other bands in Chicago at that time were kind of like oh hey this is what's kind of working we can do our styles but this kind of it and they wanted these six minute songs with guitar solos and things that weren't necessarily there and one thing I think I appreciate about and I think really comes through is the brilliance of Billy Corgan. Um, in the idea of being a truly individual, like it, truly um, comfortable in his own individualism, of being able to take those styles and create his own music and still sell 6.5 million records without really seemingly take you know bowing too much to what the record label wanted. 
Right. You know, and you see that with Billy Corgan now, which I find interesting. He's kind of he's become a little problematic, but just the idea that <laughs> you know he um, bought a wrestling, uh, yes, you know, uh, uh, like a minor league, not what minor league wrestling. You know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. Like, obviously yeah. not WWF or WCW or W. You know. But this other one, yeah. purely because his little brother liked it, I think his little brother may have some like some challenges of some kind, and he just didn't we'll, do it. We'll get to that, yeah. And he always loved it, and I just I, I really appreciate that about him in general. Is just like this is what I like. I don't care if you you know. It just I'm going to express myself the way I want to, and I think that really comes across in Siamese Dream because you're right. There's a heavy, hard sense to it. There's a real sensitive emotive sense to it and a vulnerable aspect to it especially when you look at songs like mayonnaise or uh, space boy yeah and they just it's this really cool like menagerie and this cool like mixture of somebody's interests that comes out sonically yeah well and i think you definitely get a sense of that when you i mean just how i think all the different influences, all the different styles here, you probably can imagine this album wasn't easy to make. Oh, just because, been. you know, by just by listening to it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Corgan said, and there's, you know, proof of this through other members of the band, that this was a really hard album to make. And Corgan sort of demanded perfection or wanted perfection. He is a perfectionist. And mm -hmm. so, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but he was looking for something and he was it seemed like he was hell-bent on getting what he wanted so he pretty much lived in the studio and just recorded and i mean you can you can tell just based on listening to the album that it's it wasn't recorded in a, a couple days you know or a week it was it took it there was a process to it <laughs> you know but but i mean whereas gish was more i would say straightforward sort of you know, it was, there were definitely a lot of elements to it, but it was, it was a little bit more straightforward. Siamese Dream is a lot more complex in its sound. That real sophomoric, you know, knock it out of the park. Like the first one was great. The second one was like, okay, now we know what we're doing. And now I get to, yes. Cause that's the thing is the, the, the synthesizing that many sounds into your own sound ha has to take a level of, for one, pure brilliance and, and yeah. creativity and interest, but also a level of perfectionism from the person who's really producing it as well as the producer themselves to work with that kind of person. So it's one of those magical kind of like, you know, all the stars align kind of thing. Sure. Some stories about what happened in the relation or the, the uh, recording, the relationship in the band started to sour a bit between the members. Uh, James, Eha, Darcy, and Jimmy Chamberlain, and Billy, they were all dealing with different sort of moments in their lives that were kind of difficult, I'll say. And the pressure and the perfectionist drive, all of this created a lot of tension. And there were stories coming out that Corgan was pretty much a tyrant in the studio, just, you know, sort of like a sort of a, an overlord or like a... Um, you know, you know, based off his interviews and, and what we know now of him in 2020, I can see that that's probably the case. Sure. I mean, I, I don't want to, not to bag on the guy. I think he's, no, I can see no. where there was chat. I can see where there could be challenges. Sure. I just, you know, that's what was being said. I don't know what's true or not. Sure. Yeah. It's all everybody's narrative, right? Sure. Corgan, I think 
I read somewhere he admitted part of it was true, but also people misunderstood what was going on. So, I mean, that's probably, yeah, that's totally probably what happened. But the drummer, Jimmy Chamberlain, he was dealing with a heroin problem at the time. And he's one of my favorite drummers. I mean, I just love, if you listen to his drumming on this album, it's fantastic. Oh, and absolutely. But he checked into rehab. Billy kind of, I think, pushed him in that direction. And Billy was suicidal during the recording of this album. So, yeah. And you can actually hear that on a song that everyone thinks is really happy. But today, if you read the lyrics of today, it shows that it's not a happy song. And and we'll get into that later. But but Corgan, yeah, he was dealing with a lot of of um, things at the moment. So it was not easy to make. And (laughs) I when I went back and listened to that album, this album with that in mind, and I could totally sort of get that impression um, just in, in listening to it again after knowing how difficult it was to make. But What do you think, Ryan? You want to ask you a question? Sure, sure. Okay, hypothetically, you make a song that becomes like in commercials and movies like today, right? And yeah. it's about you maybe, you know, contemplating your own mortality, maybe, de- you know, you know, it's this, it's this sad song that you're, you know, these deep, deep, real dark emotions that comes out in this happy kind of way. And then it's misunderstood by almost 99% of people who listen to it. That must be a weird feeling of like, I, I can't imagine what Billy Corgan would think, or I would just think that it would be so weird to be like, listening to it and everybody going like listening to it on the best days of their lives or whatever. And thinking like not realizing yeah. the, the, it really comes from like the darkest days of your life. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I would react to that. I might find it funny. I might find it amusing, but I also might be a little pissed off because I might feel like it's a lot of casual listeners just taking it at surface level, you know, mm-hmm. listening. They're just listening to the to the melody and they're not listening to they're not actually reading the lyrics or actually taking the time to learn more about the music. So that sure. might depending on what kind of person you know, I was as a rock star, I might take offense to that. I might be mad. I don't know. Right. You might so. think of like, oh my God, society is really dumb or, <laughs> Hey, you know what? Like I pulled one over on him. I was able to make a, a hit song that everybody loves that thinks it's happy, but it's not. And I'm like, right. If only they really knew, I mean, who knows what somebody would think, but I think that's a, an interesting thing to think about. Sure. And you know, there's also, I, I think it's a little bit, uh, egotistical maybe to think or to assume that everyone is gonna dig deep into your song Mm -hmm. to figure out what it's about i mean some person listening to the song on the radio is probably not gonna do a deep dive into the song you know Um, right i haven't deep dive into whack yet so Well, there are some who have. I, if you... No, I know, I know, I know there are. I, just, <laughs> I would be, I would fall under the under the casual listener on that one. There are some who have, and they've gotten a lot of shit for it. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Rightfully so. Anyways, Rightfully moving so. on. Let's talk about some of the songs here. Let's talk about some of our favorites and maybe go into it if mm-hmm. that's cool with you. Absolutely. So it starts off with Cherub Rock, which is one of my favorites perfect opening song right that distorted sound of the very first couple bars really leads you into that sonic journey i'm with you 
I love the guitar riff. The mm-hmm. guitar riff is great. And just looking into what it was about, apparently it was about Corgan and his problems with the indie rock business and how, you know, they were, they were expecting certain things. And some of the lines I really like were, uh, but beware all those angels with their wings glued on because deep down they are frightened and they're scared if you don't stare. There's just some parts of the song that I really like. I just, you know, you kind of get the impression that he's talking about people who are fake or people who are really demons in disguise, you know, like they're, they're angels, but you know, that's, that's their outward appearance, not who they really are. Um, but I like, cause deep down they are frightened and they're scared if you don't stare. I just, I don't know. There's something about that line that I really, I really like because it's almost like he's talking about people who want attention and they want you to notice them. They're frightened if you don't stare. And the guitar solo, fantastic. But yeah, one of my favorites. And then it goes into Quiet, which is really heavy and thematically too. Subject matter, very personal. This album is really personal for Corgan because it's a lot of the songs deal with his relationship with family and like his parents. And you mentioned his brother who's not, um, he, he has some, some problems, some health problems. And so he, he deals with a lot of these dark, uh, subject matters that were part of his, his childhood. And I, I didn't know this about his family. I didn't know that he had a terrible relationship with his parents, but going back and looking through it, it makes sense now just reading some of the lyrics and quiet, you know, some of the, the, parts of the song I really like and the lyrics I like be ashamed of the mess you've made and quiet. I am sleeping is repeated a lot throughout the song. And it's supposed to be about a child pretending to sleep while their parents are home. Right. So really it's kind of dark today. Of course, probably their most popular song. I bet you that on that album for sure on this album. Yeah. Because there were three singles from this album, right? Because there was there was Today, there was Rocket, and there was Disarm. Disarm and I know Rocket yeah. didn't do as well, but I, I mean, I know Disarm was big just because yeah. I remember being everywhere. Oh, yeah. Disarm was huge. But anyway, continue. We were talking about Today. Sorry. Yeah, Today sounds cheerful, but read the lyrics, right? <laughs> and the lyrics are... A, basically a joke about how Corgan wants to kill himself, although he admitted he was really suicidal. Uh, some of the, I think the line that really stands out for that is, I wanted more than life could ever grant me, bored by the chore of saving face. So, exactly. You know, tired of going through the motions, right? Tired of going through the motions. Just let's get over, let's get it over with. And we talked about how, or you mentioned how songs are misinterpreted. And it just reminded me of all the other songs that are misinterpreted, like Born in the USA or White Wedding or, you know, Fortunate every... Son as of this last week. There you go, right? right? So, right, right. yeah, I mean, a lot of songs just get misunderstood. Right, and they're they're just seen for the very, very surface level, which the, but yet the songwriting is so much more deep and so much more important, yeah. you know. Um, but And that's fine. I mean, I don't expect people, to, I, I don't sit down and take apart every song I've ever heard, you know, and just, but sure. at the same time, I, I find it very interesting that even these really famous songs like Born in the USA or Fortune Son, um, the meaning gets often lost just for that pure one hook that seems to catch 
with whatever somebody's either feeling or trying to express or trying to get across. Sure. Um, Hummer, which great song. The beginning is very different from a lot of their other songs. It's got this weird sort of repeating noise that keeps being played mm-hmm. over and over again. In fact, Corgan said he had to play that over and over for 30 minutes straight and gave him a splitting headache. So, <laughs> I mean, I can see why. Yeah, absolutely. But, <laughs> Tim, what does this mean? Life's a bummer when you're a Hummer. What does that mean? Well, that was before the, uh, the, the, well, that was before you could buy a Hummer. Oh, really? Car. Oh, by far. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Because I, I think that the Hummer, like, the Hummer comes from the Humvee. And the only reason it existed, exists as it was, used to exist as a car brand is because Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted, he thought Hummers were so cool. And he had a Hummer that he thought everybody should have a Hummer. So he was a big part of that. I'm not getting the history quite right, but it was well after 1993. It was well, well, wow. well, well after 1993. So I don't, I mean, I know that a Hummer is what we think of a car. A Hummer, when I was a kid, before that was a word, meant oral sex. Right. And so <laughs> I don't know. And then a humdinger or a Hummer, I mean, is another. So I have no idea what that line means. Here's what he said, because he's been questioned about this okay, a lot. Okay, good. He's... I'm glad you have an answer from him, Ryan, because that would have drove me nuts. Okay. Here's what he said. He said, ever since I wrote that song, I've heard many definitions for the word Hummer. I've heard that there's a car called a Hummer. I heard that Monica gave Bill a Hummer in the White House. But quite honestly, in my innocent youth, I imagined imagined it being someone who just walked around humming a song to himself. How how wonderfully <laughs> innocent. Right? So there you go. Hummer. I always wondered that. I'm like, why the hell is it called Hummer? Because I always thought of the car. I was just like thinking of a car. And I'm like, I, I just... Smashing Pumpkins and Hummers just don't seem that to doesn't go seem together. To, no, I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> no. and Yeah, that was well before one of those even existed. Okay. But it's a dreamy song. It's got It's got a dreamy sort of feel to it, especially at the end where everything kind of slows down. So really cool song. Different, I think, from a lot of their stuff, mm-hmm. just in general. And then we get to another single, Rocket. And yeah, I love Rocket. It's again, it's a, it's sort of in that dreamy sort of vein like Hummer was. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it, especially when he's screaming, I shall be free. I just mm-hmm. love that. And and uh, I don't know what the song is really about, but he said he talks about it as being sort of a poem mm-hmm. to the past that's kind of left you behind. So Interesting. I mean, I feel like that's a lot of pumpkin songs can be interpreted that way. It's kind of like nostalgic sort of, you know, things that happened in your past that you either hate or love, but you re- you go back to all the time. You reflect on constantly. So right, that it's it's part of your it's part of who you are, good or bad. And right. So you're gonna look, but you're gonna think about it a lot because it makes up who you are. Yeah, exactly. Then we get to Disarm, which you said was everywhere at the time. Yeah, It was it's... phenomenal. It wasn't as everywhere when I was 13 as much as today was. But I remember when I heard that song um, for the first time just being like absolutely transfixed because of just how it starts, you know, with everything about it was just so emotional. And it, it, to me, it seems like a little bit of a left turn on the album itself. 
to me just because it, yeah. it has that kind yeah. of, you know, pull. It's, yeah. it's not necessarily what you're expecting, especially after you have Chair Brock and Quiet and then today, which is slightly different. And then Rocket seemingly is similar. Hummer's very they're, – they're not similar. They're very different, but they kind of feel the same. And then all of a sudden it takes a huge left turn, right? Um, which is in a beautiful way. Definitely. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's like a, a sudden – not departure, but it's a, it is a left turn because all the stuff before is very – distorted very mm-hmm. um not necessarily always heavy but definitely more of a rock right it it kind of has a little bit of that it, a well-produced basement sound to it almost like a like a more palpable um accessible sonic youth sound to it to me sure and the first part and then all of a sudden it's like this really clear really you know sonically deep you know just comes out of nowhere yeah well, it's a, and it's a very, I'm sure you can get this from just listening to the song, but it's another very personal song. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Corgan, you know, he talks about it and he, he's very, he's got a lot to say about, about stuff. And it's really interesting. I love watching interviews with him. I love hearing him on shows. Like when he went on Joe Rogan's podcast, I loved it. It was so, it was just great to hear him talk because mm-hmm. he's got so much to say, whether you like it or not. He almost I, – I just thought of this illusion, like this this analogy, and it's not one-to-one, but it's close. He almost feels like to me like Qu- what Quentin Tarantino is to movies, Billy Corgan feels like that to music when he's interviewed. Because he – like, you know, Tarantino notoriously just can just – you know. And Corgan, not as rapid fire, but Corgan always has something to say and can back it up with so much intellectual – prowess whether and not all not everything he's saying i always agree with or i'm like wait a minute billy like but sure. he has a tendency to always have something to say and something interesting to say and is engaging and let you makes you at least stop and go that person has a lot of intellectual chops in general yes yeah absolutely. a lot of intellectual horsepower yes definitely and you know the song is kind of beautiful like you said but it's a little scary it's a little frightening oh, very much to so. a degree and this is what he said about it. This I thought was really interesting. He said, this is going to sound bad. I didn't have the guts to kill my parents. So I thought I'd get back at them through song. Oh, wow. And rather than have an angry, 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 violent song, I thought I'd write something beautiful and make them realize what tender feelings I have in my heart and make them feel really bad for treating me like shit. My God, really? Yeah. Wow. Boom. <laughs> Billy. <laughs> well, and it was interesting. I was thinking about, and I went back and kind of reviewed real quickly the, the music videos from this, this this album. Yeah. And today's is in the ice cream truck. <laughs> right. You know, in the, you know, in the, in the Midwest Plains, I think, you know, like yeah. farmland around grayish farmland. And it's, you know, it's all that. And then Rocket, they're all in, you know, metallic suits and it's very, you know, also kind of showy. And then this one is nothing but like black and white rooftops, mm. the band playing. Solo. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it's... interesting to know. Like, I, 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 that was one of those things I never really thought about too much. Or, I mean, I had my own interpretation of what those songs mean, but I would have never gotten that from that song. Yeah. From, yeah. from my interpretation, which is good because you know that i took something totally different from that but that's such an interesting approach to why that song was written yeah yeah it's uh 
I don't know. It, 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 after re-listening to it and knowing that it, it makes sense when you re-listen to it, knowing that he meant it that way. It has a whole new meaning. Oh, to I it. now now that's the first thing I'm gonna do when we finish this. Yeah, it's that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, but also one could say that that's one of the beauties of music. I mean, I know it's it's kind of a platitude to say, but like, thank goodness there are outlets like that to be able to express your feelings and emotions that way. Even if he's saying this is the song that was everywhere, probably was in the top ten at some point, ninety three, ninety four. Sure. You know, maybe top twenty five for sure. Um, yeah that was an outlet instead of having some tragic, awful thing happen and never have the art, you know? Yeah, no, good point. So after that, it goes into Soma, which mm -hmm. is a really cool track. I mean, here's the thing. I'm, I'm saying this for every track that I love it. It's a perfect album. It really is. Like, I really right? listened to it for the first time when we were deciding on albums, and that was when we kind of fell on, and I was like, I immediately, like, picked it up and, and listened to it a couple times over. And I had forgotten – it had been a long time, and I would forgotten that I was like, this is my favorite song. And the next song will come, this is my favorite song. I right. finally came up – I think Quiet at the end of the day is still my, is my favorite. But that's only through multiple listenings too because every – it truly is one of the greatest albums I know I've ever listened to. Yes. Because you're exactly right. You can go, this is another great song. This is another great song. Yeah. And I'm with you 100%. Soma is another great song. And... Absolutely. This one is about a girlfriend who left him in 92, commented on how a love relationship is like opium, puts you to sleep, soothes you, makes you feel secure and safe, then bam, reality hits. So that's, Soma kind of has that feel to it. It's very, you know, mellow and kind of lulls you, but then it kicks your ass and like it picks up. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a roller coaster song which is something the pumpkins are really good at doing. They, they kind of bring you in. It's really dreamy. It's kind of soft. And then he's screaming at you and the guitars are really distorted and they've dialed it up. So, and then they bring it back down and then they go back up. So that's, you know, that's the typical, or that's one of the things I remember most about the pumpkins is just their sort of up and downs, like their tempo, their changes their This is a good example. And I love how apparently he's talking about references here to Huxley's Brave New World and the drugs used in that mm -hmm. and similar effect. And it's just cool. It's like you can tell that, yeah, like you said earlier, this guy has stuff going on in his head intellectually. He's well read. He knows he knows a lot about, you know, a lot of different ideas and different things. And, and he's bringing them out in his songwriting. And here's a good example right here. When he's screaming, all I'm all by myself. I just I love that part. He's just oh, it's, it's like the, the the withdrawal of, her of heroin or opiates. You know? <laughs> right. Everything's yeah. great. Everything's great. This is awesome. Unbelievable. I feel great. And then oh god, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Then we go into Geek USA. Mm -hmm. Really awesome. Great riff. Psychedelic. I read somewhere that it had. The, the person who reviewed it said it kind of had a Jimi Hendrix vibe to it. And I re-listened to it and thought, yeah, I could hear, I could hear Jimi Hendrix doing something like this. It'd be a little different maybe, but the general vibe there has that psychedelic hard rock Hendrix vibe to it. I really, really saw that after reading that and like, yeah, oh, how come I, I never thought that? I can that? see the illusions. I can see the band playing with the psychedelic, you know, lights in the background. Yeah. You know? 
For sure. And the instrumentals, fantastic guitar work, the drumming by Jimmy. Jimmy goes crazy on this one. And, you know, even, even Darcy, Darcy's got great bass lines here. I mean, they're just all working really well together on this one. It's a really cool, dirty, psych, hard rock song that, that I love. And then we got Mayonnaise, right? Absolutely. Apparently, this is the last song that he wrote for the album. Billy said he just, this is the one I was talking about where he just kind of threw together a bunch of lyrics. And then he actually later realized how, how it, well it reflected just what he was feeling at that time. That's kind of, that's kind of interesting how he just kind of was like rushing to finish the song and he just kind of threw a bunch of lyrics together. And then he went back and was like, wait a minute, this is, this is accurate to what There's I There's a lot thought. of things going on there. Yeah. Because that's funny. That's funny you say that. That that's that what you know to bring that like that back into it. Because when I was a kid, that was my this and Space Boy were. But Mayonnaise, I think, was the one that I would sit down and write the lyrics to. Wow. To figure out, and not figure out the lyrics, but write the lyrics over and over again. Because it was the one that yeah. connected with me the most. Yeah. At the yeah. time. Well, and that's what he actually acknowledges that a lot of the fans really connected to this song. And he was trying to figure out why. And then he read his own lyrics or he remembered, wait a minute, this is really, this is how I feel too. Like this is, you know. Right. It's almost like if you were at your therapist and they were like, you got a lot going on. Just write down all your thoughts. And you're like, well, none of yeah. this makes sense. But then you come back 10 years later, five years later, or even a week later and go, oh my God, those do make sense. It just didn't make sense in the moment I had to get them out. Yeah. I mean, like a, a line here, we'll try and ease the pain but somehow we'll feel the same, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people feel that way. And that, you know, a line like that really does connect with people who are in that same situation or that same boat. And he also has a line here that's actually dedicated to the fans. He says, I send a heart to all my dearies when your life is so, so dreary dream. Mm -hmm. And he said, like, this is a message to his fans. And he said, I've, I've received probably 2,000 letters in the past 12 years where strangers tell me I've saved their lives. And that's powerful. And Oh, without a doubt. And, and you know, I'm not going to say, like, I'm one of those necessarily, but music, I don't know where I'd be without music, you know? Like, oh. if music didn't exist. I The, the ability to allow – like, um, I read a really interesting article um, that there's certain brain types – I would definitely fall into this brain type that um, the sadder the music, the better they'll feel. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's one of those ideas that, like uh, there was a psychological uh, essay. And I could I'll find the link to it again. I can send it to you. But the idea is it's kind of like the idea that some people love really, really, really heavy, heavy, aggressive music and it actually calms them down has the opposite effect. But um, I think without whether whether you're in one camp or the other camp or none of the camps, I think just the idea of listening to other people's expressions through that that connect with you, and especially someone like the Pumpkins, where it doesn't, it isn't laid out for you perfectly. You get to have your own interpretation, and all music has some interpretation. But the the, the Pumpkins tend to have a, seemingly a lot of interpretation you can put in there. I don't know where society would be, I know, or I would be, or anything like that without something like that, because I I can't create that. I can create different things. I have my own talents, but that one's one of those things where if I if I put on when I put on that album that you told me you know we we're gonna listen to this and redo it for one I got to revisit my youth other times I've listened to that album and then also re-explore it again as you know a forty year old 
you know yeah and, yeah it's amazing yeah but just the idea that music had i mean music is so important and to so many different people but there are those who music is a lifesaver and in that regard musicians are are in my opinion i i hold musicians up to an incredibly high level just in society like above a lot of other entertainers above a lot of other artists even and i just and and even up there with some of the most essential types of positions and jobs that we have in our in our society for that reason alone just because they are so impactful on people uh, and, everything from inspiration to saving someone's life to you know like re all kinds of things i mean i i think you're right i mean it's it's almost like <laughs> bad, this is a bad term but an essential service <laughs> this is something that's sure. essential to society i you know, i think it is and i know you know, um, progressive, I mean, just progressive the idea that we need to progress forward as a human race and be better. I think musicians are one of the driving factors in that. Definitely. Yeah. Space boy. Fantastic. Is the next one. Yeah. And this is about his brother. Oh, who, really? Yeah. So he wrote this about his brother, Jesse, and his brother was born with cerebral palsy, heart problems, Tourette's, and Corgan said, my little brother was born not right. The doctors advised that he put be put in a state home to be raised without love or family. And he will, they, they said he will be a burden upon you. And so he said he is an astronaut, a wandering soul. When he goes, he goes out into deep space and may never come back. But he is not an innocent. He is not oblivious. He does see he is no longer a child. So he's writing a song about him and it's a pretty touching song. Like it's a really, oh, I, I love yeah. mayonnaise and space boy were the ones that touched me the most when I was a kid, when I yeah. was 13, 14, 15. Yeah. And then we got silver fuck, which is just a heavy, mm -hmm. heavy hitting song. And I didn't know this, but it was inspired by a show they did where a band played so long that the club cut the power. Just <laughs> <laughs> great. And the, the, the band refused to stop playing. Fights broke out. And he Fuck said it yeah. was. A, he said it was a. He said it was a powerful moment. And yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, when you're able to the when the club cuts your power and you refuse to stop and people are still there and they want to hear more, fights break out. I mean, that's what more can you ask for from a rock show? That right? is. <laughs> That is awesome. But I love how, and you can see this because I love how it goes from being quiet and mellow to heavy, chaotic in a split second. Again, I mentioned this in another song. They do this really well. Mm -hmm. But, and you don't know when it's going to happen. That's what I really like about this song is like when you, when you have it on, there's a moment where it's like really quiet and then it immediately goes up to like 10 or 11 if you're in a spinal tap, right? Right. It immediately goes up to that extra level and... Yeah, it's uh, it's a great rock song. Well, and how do you what, what do you think? And you may agree with this statement or not, but I almost feel like the album is that way because you have the first three songs are are heavy and you know heavy or dreamy, you know, and they have this kind of longing hardness to them, and then there's this left hand turn into disarm, and then you know then you're back up. And then you're kind of back down again with um, Mayonnaise and Space Boy to a degree. And then you're right back up again. Like, 
that's yeah. one of the things that I do I I do miss about albums classically without sounding like too much of an old man, you know, like or you know a luddite right. or anything. I love having every song I've ever had, ever heard, basically, you know, accessible on my phone. But what I used to love really is like is when I got older is getting an album and listening to it the way it was intended to be listened to. Yes. And that's one of the reasons like Tool didn't, Tool didn't want to be on Spotify was saying they had that kind of idea that these are, these are individual songs and works that work together that are arranged in a certain way. And I think the arrangement of this album is, is very close to exactly in my mind, the way the songs tend to be. I would agree with that. I think both the album as a whole and each song, or for for many of the songs, there is that up and down right. change. For so yeah, I mean, and that's uh, that is sort of part of what they do really well. Just in general, is take you on a ride that's like got some highs, got some lows, but it always is. You know, it's always. It's a journey that you want to go on. It's not like you don't want to listen to this roller coaster right. ride. You do want it. So, right. Yeah. And, and here we go. Like it closes out. The album closes out with two tracks that are really just a big come down in a way, like mm-hmm. in 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 tempo and everything. We got sweet, sweet, the sort of the lullaby like song, which I I really love. It after Silverfuck reduces your brain to goo. Um, you come to this lullaby, which is still a dark lullaby. I mean, it's not like the Smashing Pumpkins are going to write uh, a song that puts you to sleep really, you yeah. know, without any nightmares or dreams. But uh, I just love how he, he's saying here, and they all want you to change. I just, he chants that over and over again, and they all want you to change. And I I don't know, there's something about that that just really, I just love hearing him chant that because it's almost like, well, who's they? And, you know, want you to change. And a part of me is like, no, I'm not going to change, you know, fuck change. Like, right. I'm going to be who I am, you know. And so and and I don't know if that's what he's going for here, but I just I love that that chant. that lullaby. Right. And that, that kind of chant towards authenticity. Yeah. And then it ends with Luna, which, again, fantastic song. Good clothes. Corgan said the song is for the moon. It can never be for the one you love because apparently people were thinking that it was a love song about somebody and he said it's for the moon. So, <laughs> By definition, unrequited love, right? The moon won't love you back. That Well, that's true. This is true. But yeah, I mean, what a, a perfect album. Not a bad song at all. Everything fits. And it's one of those, I think, rare instances where every song is good. And even some of the albums that I've done for this podcast so far, there might be a song or two that are good but not great. But this album is not like that. There's not a bad song to be had here, which is rare. It is, it is extremely rare. Um, you know, there's, there's a few bands, few albums and, that, I can, that, that come to mind. When we were even talking about what album to do, you know, um, but even of the ones I threw at you, this is one of those ones that I was like, no, I do that in a heartbeat just because there's not a single, there's not a song on there that I can't put on and have real connection to feels to memories from, you know, and I was even thinking about something you said about, you know, the role of music as far as expression and and society and and our, us, what we get through, what we go through. I was just thinking about how much this particular album and becoming pretty obsessed with it when I was a kid really led me 
for an exploration of art and culture that I wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, like it, yeah. this album made me go, wait a minute, what what else is out there? And 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 go into everything, you know, from you know, Sonic Youth to the Pixies to um, you know, I mean, the list would go on and on. Built to Spill, Modest Mouse, um, just I mean, I could go on and on and on. But sure. the point is, is that sure. it was this was one of those first things that opened up a thirteen-year-old's mind to say, I don't have to listen to what's on the radio. There's amazing artwork out there, and there's people have a lot to say, and a lot that I can personally get out of it and emote with, and deal and help me deal with things. And I wouldn't be who I am today without this album, for sure. Yeah, that's that is, I think, something a lot of people can say about the the Smashing Pumpkins and this album is that it was it, it became a, a a personal nostalgic album and and their fans like they have very passionate fans the smashing pumpkins and i mean a lot you could say that about a lot of rock bands sure but but i feel like the the smashing pumpkins are there's something about the fan base that it's deeply personal these songs in in a lot of ways and you and a lot of that has to do i think with corgan putting his own personal emotions into it just so deeply but tim what what brings you back to this album? Like, why do you keep listening to it? Even though you've heard it probably so many times. Oh yeah. Hundreds. But why do you keep coming back to it? Because aren't you sick of this album yet? I mean, come on. Right. You know, one would think, <laughs> one would think, and I have burned myself on out of many a band. <laughs> sure. But, um, I would say for me is that especially now, and um, I'm older, you know, I'm, 40 that's a weird age to be you know just, I, mean, not, I mean any age is a weird age to be when you think about it but um there's something about being 13 being 14 you know and that that sense and the nostalgia and the time and space and place i was when i first heard it i would say that there's there's that there's such a memory tied to it um Strange story. I told my partner Savannah this today. I was listening to this album when I was first moved to Boise. I was rollerblading, exploring the city by myself, and I broke my collarbone. Oh, shit. Totally by myself. <laughs> I'm all right. I'm still alive today, but it was a very traumatic experience. Wow. I find a payphone and all this shit. But the thing was, is that it just, um, it was just, an, uh, for me, a happier, simpler, easier time. A. And I, you know, I, and take that for what you will. But the other one is that it is so it is so easy to listen to. It's so easy to sink yourself back into. It still allows the ability to I had my own ideas and and interpretations of it at 13, again when I listened to it in my 20s, again when I listened to it the last couple of weeks and it's going to have a totally different way I look at it just off the conversation what I learned from you and today from this interview. I'm not going to look at that album again and there's very few albums I could I can even think in my mind where I could have so many different reactions to it and interpretations of it. And I think that's the, that's the real answer to that question is that it leaves so much latitude to the listener that it's, it's now I'll listen to for as long as I'm around. For, I just got to ask you, what the hell were you doing when you were rollerblading? Were you jumping off some stairs? No, no, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> so I was actually at BSU, right? Okay. Boise State University. Boise State, right. And this is 1994. Summer of 1994, and I was rollerblading. I was just, I just, I had moved to the city like a week before from this small town. So I was like, just, oh my gosh, it's a college campus, and 
downtown and everything. And there was a cheerleading camp in the summer because it's in the summer. Right. And, and they're all middle school, high school girls doing cheerleading. I'm just going into middle school or, you know, ninth grade. And so I was like trying to be super cool and like, you know, and that was, it wasn't like I was trying to do something cool or I was trying to grind. I was simply just trying to look cool going straight. And that was, that was the end of me. Epic fail, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh man. It was, it was an embarrassing time, but a great story now. What about you, Ryan? What, What makes you come back to this album? Well, nostalgia for sure. And just, you know, knowing that this was a band that I discovered early on. It was one of the bands that I really got into early on. Listening to this album brings back a lot of memories as well. And uh, like you said, simpler times, times where, you know, you didn't have a lot of the stress and the, and the um, expectations that you have now. Right. Mm -hmm. And you weren't dealing with as much now, you know, back then it was just great to, like you, like you said, rollerblade or whatever, you yeah. know, you could just do whatever. And so it brings back a lot of memories, but, and just getting into music on my own for the first time, like really, I mean, my dad influenced me a lot with some of the music like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, that kind of stuff. But just getting into some of the nineties music and, and the eighties music on my own was really cool. Yeah. Kind of, that, kind of stake your claim where you can say, I love, I love Pink Floyd. I love, Led Zeppelin, but you know, this is this, I discovered this for me, right? Sure. Not that, that exactly. you don't want other people to like it, but it's kind of your first stake in the, in the sand that says, this is, this is my discovery. Definitely. And I think the lyrics, Corgan is one of the best lyricists in music, just history. I think just, even though maybe it doesn't always make sense if you just, you know, look at it completely, but I think that his lyrics are just so, in many ways, just very poetic and, and personal. And I just really appreciate that about his music. And I think the guitar work and the combo, like as an adult now looking at the more complex musical, you know, side of this actually being someone who's really looking at music from a different point of view. Now, the, the different styles they bring in the guitar, the drumming, I love it. It it all, just makes an album that I can keep returning to over and over. So yeah. Couldn't can't, agree with you more. Can't really say anything negative about this in any way. And before we close though, I just want to say the album cover has drawn some conspiracy theories. So apparently there was a conspiracy that the one of the girls on the front, because obviously, you know, for those listening, the album cover features two young girls mm-hmm. who are kind of like dressed up as cherubs. They have the wings and everything. And there was a rumor that one of the girls actually became one of the members of the band, Nicole. And Nicole plays the bass or she played the bass in the band. And I think her, what was her name? Nicole, was it Fiorentino? I think was her name. Yeah. Fiorentino, Nicole Fiorentino. She joins the band And there was this whole thing where it was like she was on the cover and Corgan kind of played into the joke and says, well, she said she didn't want us to know because she thought maybe we wouldn't let her in the band. So there was this whole little thing about the album cover and the the girls on it. Apparently that was not true. She was never in the band. The girls are grown up, 
They're doing their own thing. They actually, for the reunion tour, they had a photo together for the first time since 93 when the album came out. And they, I think they put wings on and everything. They posted. did the whole thing? Yeah. I remember hearing that there was a conspiracy theory around that. And it's interesting because it's like you have three really big album covers that have children. There's lots of them that have children. But there's, of course, Nevermind. There's there's this. And then there's the uh, Goo Goo Dolls album. Yeah. Right, not and that one got pulled because it was they had a um, like cherry pie or something like fruit on their face that were eating, but it was supposedly thought it, it alluded to child abuse, so they had to edit it. You know, oh, it had wow. nothing to do with that. Anyway, yeah. I just find it interesting of the the children of uh, children on '90s albums yes. that, that had some kind of issue about them or conspiracy yeah. about them. Well, this one was kind of touching and endearing. No, and that's it, fantastic. Yeah, and, and it was funny because they apparently didn't know each other. And just looking at the image, it looks like they're best friends or oh even sisters. Oh my gosh, sisters. I was looking at the album and I was listening to it right before we got on the thing and it's such a beautiful picture of right. like, just like childhood friendship. Yeah, and they didn't know each other and they just, that was the first time they ever met, so. Beauty of kids, they just instantly like connect. And maybe yeah. never see each other again, I like that. yeah. Well, Tim, thanks for sitting down to talk about Siamese Dream with me. Anytime, Ryan. It was a pleasure. And for all the, those who haven't listened to Siamese Dream, check it out and let me know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the Broken Record Player podcast. We're on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. This is Tim and Ryan. We'll see you next time on the Broken Record Player podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening.